This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. So I kind of had a little bit of fun with this one uh, this, this week. Um, it's so corny, you know, sometimes you don't want to revisit all the, the corny verses that you see written like on um, coffee cups and, you know, you are the light of the world. How many person, people have actually already heard that verse, right? All, all the verses in the Bible that you've never, ever heard of, this one, I bet you heard this one, right? And uh, it's actually uh, something that I took a bit for granted myself, having grown up and heard this verse many, many times. Um, when I studied Greek, I didn't even really worry about the word cosmos. Like, yeah, yeah, we know, we know it's the world. It's the known world. We all know about that one. And so uh, as I'm kind of going through the, the Greek text and looking at, okay, what are these words in the Greek? I stopped and went, wow, this is actually kind of cool in a way that I hadn't noticed before. So I, I love to sort of plug in the Greek words of, um, that I don't know or don't know well and look at all the variation of the definitions. How is this word used? How was it used before Christ? How did it come into use during the Koine period? Um, what are the variations? What is that word composed of, right? Because usually, because like underground, right? Just like in English where we have compound words, um, words like catalambano, uh, for example, is to seize or arrest. And that's one of those like power words that happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I have looked that word up a bazillion times and cross-checked and checked and checked. Wow, look how cool this is. But I never bothered to plug cosmos into my dictionary because I already know that one, Right? Maybe not. So in the Greek it says, umes este tufos to cosmo. That's that's the the you are the light of the world. Umes este tufos to cosmo. So I plug it in. All right, let's plug in that word cosmo. It's so funny because cosmos, for someone as big on creation care as I am, you think I would have been all over this already. But you plug it in, and yeah, sure. It means the world. It means the created world, the known world. But it also means an ornament of good order. Like, wild. What is that? It also means that it's a manifestation. And one of the examples it uses is actually uh, when a woman gets dressed with all the... um, accessories and have you seen that like somebody goes out to dinner and you say wow you know like I don't have that gift but she really knows how to coordinate the shoes and the handbag and the uh, colors of the skirt pull out the colors of the necklace and her hair with that one like thing that she did like how did she even do that that's beautiful right and we would say you are so well put together when we when we say that This word cosmos has that peace in it. That the world that God created has good order. It's well put together. And it's well put together in a way that manifests, that shows and displays the glory of God, how good God is, God's good order. 
That's, isn't that, is, is that cool or what? I, I just thought that was magnificent. I just loved that idea because when you think of ecology, when you think of a forest, right? It's such good order. It's an ornament, isn't it? It's an absolute ornament. And we are part of that. We are part of that good order of the cosmos. So I read a little further down, and my favorite word popped up. Now, here's a word I've cross-indexed a million times, dunamai. Anybody who has been hanging around here knows I love the word dunamai with all my heart. It means power. But it doesn't just mean power. It's a word we mistranslate, and because we're Westerners, we don't really think God has a lot of power. We think the human heart has more power than God does sometimes. And so we, we translate this one like cardboard. You know, I... Um, so I went to El Salvador, and I was speaking very sad um, uh, uh, Spanish for a number of weeks. Um, I'm horrible at it, but luckily for me, the people around me had tremendous grace, and they would hang in there, and I would open the book, and I would ruffle through the pages. And, but what I learned is the, the vowels, and after speaking Spanish, uh, gracias, uh, de nada, um, me gusta, it's all, right, it's all this beautiful round vowels, right? Platanos, platanos are these delicious bananas, different kind of bananas. And I, I ended up in the hospital because, well, you know, me. Um, and uh, I got this tremendous care, and I'm, I, I'm too sick to speak Spanish, but as I got a little better, um, they, they started to feed me, and they'd bring me things, and one of the things they brought me was platanos. And they asked me at one point, what, does, what is the word for platanos in English? And I had to reorient my brain, even pathetic Spanish speaker that I am, and I had to shift the way my mouth behaved to flatten everything out and say plantain. Right? Plantain. Doesn't that, that sound so flat and hollow and tinny compared to platanos? Or uh, what was wrong with me is I had no electrolytes, and so my doctor, who would this great booming voice, electrolytes, right? <laughs> Doesn't that sound great? Like, hey, I want some of those. Whatever those are, I'll have some. But um, English squashes, we squash and flatten the sound, and we do that with this word dunamai. We squash and flatten what it means. It's, um, and I haven't done a... PhD study on this, so there's probably going to be some PhDs out there and go, well, actually, when it's used in this other context, it's just fine when it doesn't, then the attic thing, and then when Plato uses it, it's over. Based on my experience of reading the text over and over again, when this word shows up, you pay attention. You just plain pay attention. God is doing something. So the word dunamai shows up and it shows up here in connection to the capability and strength of humanity and the work and power of God. It shows up in the, in, the, in the sentence, a city on the top of the hill cannot be hidden. Right. So this is the whole verse. Uh, you are the light of the world. A city at the top of the hill cannot be hidden. And I want to re-translate that for us. Uh, and the translation I would use would be, y'all are the light of the world, right? Y'all, because this is not just you personally. This is y'all. All y'all are the light of the world. Um, and it does not have the power. No city can be concealed when it is being laid over a mountain. 
Bet you never heard it translated like that before. But that's in the text. This is even passive voice. It is being laid. That's another thing that's hard for us as Westerners, that everything's active. We want everything in the active voice. I'm doing it. But God does a lot of stuff. And that renders passive voice for what God is doing. So the city is not building itself. The light is not shining by itself. The city can't even choose to hide because God is laying it over the mountain. Isn't that cool? Somehow I missed this because the kingdom of God, the birth of the kingdom of God, the rise of the kingdom of God is, Jesus talks about this nonstop, right? And yet I missed this verse and what it meant. So who is laying down the city? Who or what tries to conceal it? Is the city trying to conceal itself? Sometimes, right? When you're the light of the world and po- folks come at you, wouldn't you like to hunker down? Pretend you're not really there? No one home. Don't answer the door. But when God is doing something, it's going to be revealed. And to the ancients, darkness wasn't just the absence of light. It was the presence of dark. So these are like two powers, two forces, two existences, pushing one, pushing back. Light was the beautiful created order of the cosmos. Darkness contained the uncreated. It was chaos. Light was the spirit poured out. Darkness was holy possibility, unknown, dangerous. Think Schrodinger's cat. We don't know what's going on in there over and over again, because we come to the Bible as little children, Jesus tells us we do not need to be afraid of the dark. Darkness does not have to be feared. The room, our run room home, if we are living in the time of Jesus, this is what Jesus tells us in this verse, our one room home, where the upper part is where the family sleeps and the lower part is where the animals come in at night. It cannot be overcome with darkness, filled with darkness, the presence of darkness because the light is stronger. Even a light as weak as those ancient olive oil lamps were, Barely any light really at all. Apparently it would, a candle could totally best this oil lamp light. Even so, that light can rival and defeat a whole room full of darkness pressing in. So there's another component to the city and the hill, and that is the city is being laid down is in present tense. We love to compare it with the different cities around Sepphoris or different kinds of cities. But Jesus is in Galilee and Jesus speaking from the Mount of Olives and he is speaking to the people in need and in crisis right there. In curiosity they have come, hungry they have come, well fed they have come, poor, rich, laborers, out of work, the masterless, the slave. This verb is present tense. Something is happening right now. The city is being laid over the mountain right now. The city is being raised up. And who are the lights? Y'all are. Not simply light bearers, as we sometimes think. And we we get this reinforced for us on uh, Christmas Eve when we hold the light. As if we're the bearers. As if we're the lampstands. You're not the lampstands. Just going to throw that right at at you. You're not the lampstand. 
You're the light. You're not the lamp. You're the light. The light that issues forth. The eye of the spirit. The power of a spirit aligned in relationship and filled with the Holy Spirit that is God. Light manifesting the light of God for the good of the cosmos right now. This sermon that explains this perfect, good, ordered thing that is happening in God's good world right now. This is what we're called to be the light of and the light for. Peter and Matthew and Jesus and Luke are all contributors to these stories and they all speak to the in-group. They're all talking to Israelites who would understand this concept, the idea of the kingdom of God. These folks would all pray the Shema, the beautiful, beautiful Hebrew prayer of the Jewish people that is prayed today and, and was prayed then in synagogues all over the world. Peter and Luke and Jesus and Matthew are calling us to be opening our eyes to what God is doing with the light of the world right now, asking us to be the first ears to hear the words of the Spirit spoken by the Galileans at Pentecost, to be the mouths that carry the word, the hearts that carry the Spirit poured out, and consequently be the hands and feet of God. So who is the light of the cosmos? Can you bear it? Will you live it? Can you shine as that light right now? That is the radical, amazing, subversive, perfect invitation. You are, y'all are, we all are the light of the world. And this city is being laid down. And God is making it known. Amen.